Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, Ginger McKenzie. Bottom, you are here with me today, my dearest friend, my mentor in directing the Canadian B. Arthur, John Adams of Theatre. Bottom, what are we doing today? What is the musical du jour? Listen to the ragtime. On the wheels of a dream. Yes. Ragtime. Ragtime. Yes, 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 and yes. This one was alluded to as much as Rent was in in our many podcasts we've done so far. Mm -hmm. This this is what Autumn has been dying to do, and I made her wait until season three. I made her trudge through Titanic, the producers, Rent, Godspell. I had to choose Godspell. Finally, we're getting to one that I actually want to do. <laughs> Yay. Yes. Yay. Ragtime in autumn. As this is your choice of a musical, why did you choose it? I was so fortunate in, um, in the day to see the original production of this at the mm. Ford Center. And it was the moment I fell in love with Marin Maisie. And that love continues to be huge. We'll talk about that. We'll talk so about huge. that in her. Like made me fall in love with Stephen Sutcliffe. Mm. My younger brother, who I was so fortunate uh, to be able to work with when I was at the Shaw Festival. And he's Cool. He, yeah, he's a, a re- just such a beautiful artist and a beautiful human being. Yes. The the cast, Audra McDonald, Brian Stokes Mitchell, like just mm-hmm. unbelievable. Judy Kay. Judy Kay. I forgot she was in it. Like it it really was a slice of perfection. You know, it's epic mm-hmm. but specific. So I was thinking about this a lot last night. What is the difference between this and Titanic for me? Because mm-hmm. t- in in essence, they should be quite similar. They're both very epic. They're both super epic, but where Ragtime succeeds is in the specific narratives, having these yes. incredible through lines mm-hmm. and how the stories intersect with one another. Mm-hmm. I love it. Just like what James Cameron did when he did Titanic, which is what the musical didn't do, was he used the real historical figures to ground the fictional characters. Yeah. So you have the real character, the real life characters like Houdini and Emily reflecting the trajectory of these other fictional characters in their journey, like Tate and his moving picture books. And yes. Houdini, and that's once again they're mirroring each other, and they're saying it's 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 like Kathy Bates playing Molly Brown against 
Francis Fisher's A Ruth Duplicator, where it's like you need Molly Brown in, the, in, in like the lifeboat for Francis to play off her as they watch the ship yeah. sink because it's it, it, and that's what, that's what happens. It's, it's, it's honoring, mm-hmm. it's honoring the narrative of a nation, yes. mm-hmm. and this ragtime is the the component that I find most interesting about this musical is that the time period is the lead character. Mm-hmm. It is about a very specific time in a very specific place. Uta Hagen mm-hmm. would be very impressed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and it it goes through the whys. Why why is this happening? Why now? Mm-hmm. Which is something a lot of artists negate, and that's yeah. when when work becomes insular or general mm-hmm. because people forget to ask the why. And I think Aaron's and Flaherty really. They nail the specificity of each narrative and yes. the narrative of the time period. Yeah. This show is surrounded with greatness. It's based on a brilliant novel by Doctorow. It was the pinnacle of success of the live entertainment company. Our friend, Mr. Garth Drabinsky. Look at, look, here is my thought. You you can hate this man. And I know a lot of people have been screwed over by this man. Mm-hmm. However, this man did give a lot of people work. Yes. So there's got to be a balance. There's got to be a, uh, we have to find a balance. And mm-hmm. his greed caught up to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ragtime once again affirms for me that Aaron's and Flaherty can write music for anybody. Mm. And I I know that we've had, we had the conversation of Once on this Island, should they have written this musical? Well, you know what? They needed to write it. Mm-hmm. They needed to be ready for this one. Write this musical. And the, the songs, the struggle they give Cole House, it, they, it, there's an understanding there. Mm-hmm. And I... I think it's great. I think yeah. I think mm-hmm. they are great. And and mm-hmm. Flaherty did a lot of um he was a ragtime pianist. Exactly. <laughs> so then Autumn, tell me what is ragtime about? Because this is an epic story. Like, I, like about the scale of Titanic and Parade with just as many co- complex. No, it's lines. bigger than parade. It's bigger than parade. It it's about the it's about America at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. So going into the 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, what was happening, m- m- like specifically in the New York area, Harlem, New Rochelle, which mm-hmm. is a, like a suburb of, of um, uh, New York, uh, deals with uh, the immigration, uh, how people came over looking for the American dream, how some people find it, some people don't, how like... Um, the black narrative through Cole House Walker and mm-hmm. uh, Sarah uh, yep. plays out, and um, the Jewish narrative. And then you have this beautiful narrative of mother, father, who never get a name, which is so yeah, so fascinating. They are they are very much classed as how society would label them. Well, they're very younger brother, you know mm-hmm. the. The one that's kind of lost, but yes. needs an outlet. You know, yes. father who is the patriarch, 
mother who's the one who waits at home and does the things. You know? Does she and, though? Does she? Though? Does she? Mm-hmm. Does she? She does not. And no. and now when I go back, there were songs in it. I was like, uh, we could probably do away with that song. Mm-hmm. But they're the things- they are integral to the plot. It's it, it's one of those sung through musicals where you can't really pull a thread out without no all unraveling. I mean, you have the Evelyn Nesbitt and the Harry Houdini, and I'm kind of like, yeah, they really add to the plot line. They build, they build, they, they build the it, environment it helps of, of the story, the time period. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of necessity to show how mm-hmm. people moved uh, ahead in the world. Yes, that's kind of you know you have this immigrant, so you have Harry Houdini who is who was an immigrant, right? Mm-hmm. And his trajectory in comparison to uh, Tate Mm -hmm. um, and the idea of the moving picture, like everything about this is so beautifully woven together. The fabric Mm -hmm. of this musical is beautifully woven together. The story basically focuses primarily on three groups of people. You have the, the, the family, mother, father, younger brother, um, that group, you have the African-American couple in Cool House Walker and Sarah, mm-hmm. Cool House being the ragtime pianist, yes. um, and the advocate, mm-hmm. um, which I love, who comes up time and time again against adversity. Then you have uh, Tete and his daughter who have come to America to start a new life, mm-hmm. Um uh, to, to seek that American dream. And it's really just about how these, these people intersect and mm-hmm. how they find kindness within each other. Mm-hmm. I think mother is the pinnacle of an, a character. Well, she, mother's the linchpin of the story. Well, she's, she's the, she is, she is the moral, the morality Mm-hmm. Right, she is the person that j- finds peace within herself, so she can give peace to others. I think it is. I think it is an extraordinary. I mean, the book is as big as Ulysses. It's so thick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think it. It just it nails. It nails that time period. The music nails that time. Like everything about it is golden autumn give us the rundown on who is on the creative because we do have some new people kind of yeah 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 let's start with doctor so yes. eel uh eel doctor uh edgar i love that name if i were In to have a son is- i would call him edgar um edgar, Edmund, edgar. i love it <laughs> edgar um Edgar Lawrence Doctorow, uh, born in 1931, died, unfortunately, in 2015. Mm. An American novelist, editor, and professor. Love those. I love those people that do everything. Um, most uh, most prolific for his work in historical fiction. Ragtime, mm. for example. Uh, he wrote 12 novels, three volumes of short fiction, and a stage drama. Interesting. Um, You do Ragtime, Billy Bathgate, and The March. Many of his other works place fictional characters in recognizable historical contexts with known historical figures. He 
often used different narrative styles. People recognized him for his originality and his versatility, uh, which is interesting because that that's sense. something I would say about Aaron's and Flaherty too. Like this yes. is like the perfect synthesis of artistry in my mind. A lot of his work was praised for its audacity and his <laughs> imagination. I love that. Audacity. So in a way, he's kind of like Tete in a way. He's yes. A bit audacious and a lot imaginative. Um, a number of his novels uh, were adapted for the screen. Welcome to Hard Times with Henry Fonda, Daniel with Timothy Hutton and Billy Ga Bathgate with Dustin Hoffman. And of course, there was a film version of Ragtime. Made. Yes. Yes. Not, not, not a, not a musical movie, a film. No, no, no. It was a film film. Yes. Uh, it was like a he was film. recipient of numerous awards the National Books Critics Circle Award for Ragtime, the National Book Circle Award for Billy Bathgate, the National Book Circus, uh, Circus, Critics Circus. Circle, so many Cs uh, for the March, and the American Academy of Arts and Letters Golden Medal for Fiction. Again, President Barack Obama called him one of America's greatest novelists. High praise. High that is high praise. That is very um, high praise. Of course, this uh, it was the collaborative effort. This musical was the collaborative effort of Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty, who we've talked yes. about a lot by this point because we did Once on this Island. Uh, we talked about Aarons with uh, Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Once on this Island, Susical. Anastasia, um, Rocky. Yeah, all, all the things. Uh, mm -hmm. Amazing. Uh, human beings that I really think put empathy at, at, as the front piece of all their work. And I, yes. it never feels like it's about them and them needing to get their voices out. I feel like they honor community and they honor empathy. And that mm -hmm. is why I think they're my favorite composing, uh, lyricists. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so we've talked about them, but they're brilliant. Mm -hmm. Autumn's, Autumn's a fan. The piece was directed by Frank Galati. Yes. And he's an American director, writer, and actor. Uh, he was a member of Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago, Phenomenal, and the Goodman Theatre. He became an associate director at the Goodman Theatre in 1986 and uh, served there till 2008. He is an inductee into the Chicago Gay and Lesbian Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, he is a recipient of nine Joseph Jefferson Awards for his contributions to Chicago theater. Galati and co-writer Lawrence Kasdan adapted the novel The Accidental Tourist for film. Uh, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Writing, a BAFTA, uh, Writers Guild of America Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, and the pair won a USC Scripture Award for the screenplay. Uh, Galati was also awarded the Tony Award for Best Play for his adaptation of The Grapes of Wrath in 1990, a production of which I have always wanted to see because it has in it a Gary Sinise, Ooh. Uh, Lois Smith and Terry Kinney. So Galati was responsible for that. 
He also went on to adapt As I Lay Dying and mm-hmm. Murakami's After the Quake in 2005. Uh, he also wrote original works such as Everyman, and most of his works uh, debuted at Steppenwolf. He occasionally appears as an actor and has directed Kushner's Homebody Kabul at uh, the New York Theater Workshop. He directed Ragtime and The Pirate Queen. He has directed two productions of The Visit at the Goodman and the Signature Theater in Arlington with Cheetah Rivera. Yes, and also the Laker at Roger Reese. Mm-hmm. He is working with Flaherty and Aaron's on directing um, uh, Knoxville. Uh, it will premiere at the Solo Repertory Theater in spring 2020, it says, but I think that's <laughs> that's not going to happen. And it, that that musical is based on a book by James Aggie, A Death in the Family, and will star Jason Daniele, who <laughs> is Marin Macy's widow. Widower. Widower. I get mm-hmm. confused. Widow, uh, widower. So he is a professor emeritus. I don't know how to say that word. I have emeritus, emeritus. Former potato, potato. In the Department of Performance Studies at Northwestern University, which is one of the highest ranking universities in the world. Uh, but he retired in 2006. Good for him. Too bad. I would like to study with him. I think he's extraordinary. Agreed. Extraordinary. The choreography for the show was done by Graziella Danielle, who we talked about <laughs> because she directed the original production of Once on this Island. Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but really great, uh, known for her work with Aaron Simplarity, but also mm-hmm. for Falsettos, Falsetto yes. Land and March of the Falsettos. So yeah. uh, that's a little recap on, on her. The producer of this, let's talk a little bit in depth about our good friend, Garth Howard Drabinsky, shall we? Do it. Let's do it. Yes. Canadian. Yay. We love Canadians. Bias. Do we love this one? Call me bias. Yes, I do. I do. I, I respect what he did. I don't respect where he went. Agreed. We all have, we all fail at, at certain times of our lives. If we learn from the failure. Mm-hmm. Has do he I learned think from his failure? loved theater? Yes, I do. Oh, he absolutely loved theater. You don't produce and put that much money into theater or put that much effort into producing theater unless you actually like it. Yeah. So he he was um, a Canadian film. He is a Canadian film and theatrical producer, entrepreneur. Um, uh, dark uh, things happened in his life and he decided um, to commit fraud uh, and forgery. He was sentenced and spent time in Muskoka at Beaver Creek Correctional Facilities. Uh, how fun is that? My neighborhood. Yeah, because in 2009, he was uh, convicted and sentenced uh, to seven years, but that was dropped to five years. Oh, so there you go. He got out in like 2014. Let's see, what can we say about him other than the prison thing? So he was born in Toronto, graduated from U of T. Another Mm -hmm. high-ranking school, Northwestern, U of T, with a Bachelor of Laws degree, of all things. 
1973, the year of my birth. Mm. Uh, he was called to the bar in 1975. He entered into the entertainment business in 1978 as an independent commercial film producer uh, through Tiberius Entertainment Limited and a film distributor through Pan-Canadian Film Distributors, Inc. Hmm. He was credited as the producer for The Disappearance, The Silent Partner, The Changeling, Tribute, Amateur, uh, Losing It, The Gospel, John, Half-Light, and Barrymore. Wow. Uh, in April 1979, he and Nat Taylor co-founded Cineplex Theaters. Oh, I knew he was part of Cineplex. And he created a chain of multiplex theaters for the Canadian market. By uh, May of 1984, it acquired the Canadian Odeon Theater chain, thus becoming Cineplex Odeon. And uh, it was sense. obviously a major player in the industry. Yes. Uh, it expanded further through the acquisition of several U.S. theater chains, but he left the company in December 1989. Why? Why would you yeah. leave this? That is my it question. It was doing well. Garth. Oh, okay. He made choices. He, made choices. Uh, he leveraged his ownership of the Pantages Theater in Toronto um, to the publicly traded theater production company Live Entertainment Corporation of Canada, also known as Live. Live company expanded building or refurbishing several theaters, including the Oriental Theater in Chicago, and entered into management deals with others in Toronto, Vancouver, and New York. Basically, um, he became like Live Macintosh, is what he that? did there. I said, basically, he became like Cameron McIntosh, kind of yes. owning theater. Because that's... Yeah. yeah, and produced in, yeah. huge works. He was, mm -hmm. he was Mr. Mervish's major rival. Yes. Major rival. Yeah. Um, so Live End was noted for several productions, many of which uh, 19, have to 19 Tony Awards and 61 nominations. Phantom of the Opera, the original Canadian, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, Kiss the Spider Woman, Showboat, Ragtime, Sunset Boulevard, Fosse. Parade. Um, and on the downswing, he started to, he, he was working on Parade, as we know, because we've talked about that. Yes. And he was also in workshop mode for the new Aaron's and Flaherty musical, Susical. So in 2002, he started to dabble a bit with Toronto-based film production and direct marketing company Visual Bible International. He was purported to be a creative consultant. They were instrumental in building uh, the business model and trying to find an American executive to serve as president and CEO. So I, th I that is this is the beginning of where he starts to get into trouble, like yes. this this film film thing. I'm not going to go too much into it, but he got himself in some hot water and ended up in jail. In 2011, through uh, Tiberius Entertainment, now known as Garth H. Drabinsky Productions, promoted the film Barrymore at the Toronto International Film Festival based on the play with Christopher Plummer. Mm. Uh, 
He is now partnering with former CBC executive Richard Sturzberg to raise funds for two musicals. Good um, for him. The last uh, one of those um, ventures was Sustaka, uh, which played at the Elgin Winter Garden and did not go so well for our friend, Garchabinsky. It had terrible reviews. Terrence McNally. The book writer of this musical. The late, great Sorry. Terrence McNally. Yes. He is the bard of the American theater. One of the greatest contemporary playwrights the theater world has yet produced. Mm-hmm. That is how people refer to him. Playwright and librettist, Columbia University was his alma mater. He won the Tony Award for Best Play for Love, Valor, Compassion, and Masterclass. Mm -hmm. He also wrote the book for the musical Kiss of the Spider Woman. So you see, people are starting, there's collaborative efforts starting to come together here. together, Which is uh, very interesting. McNally was inducted with the Lifetime Achievement Tony Award in 2019. He died last year. Of COVID. Of COVID, yes. Mm -hmm. He wrote opera. He wrote film. He did TV series. He he did everything. All hail his genius. May it be Mm -hmm. everlasting because some of these these pieces are just uh, uh, unbelievable. Agreed. Agreed. And that is the creative team. So, in the mid-90s, this is when it all kind of began. Garth Drabinsky, as we said, CEO of Live and Inc., uh, acquired the rights to the novel Ragtime. He took an unorthodox approach to find the songwriting uh, team that would would pen this piece. He actually auditioned various composers and lyricists, asking them to create a four-song demo tape. In October of 1994, composer Stephen Flaherty and lyricist Lynn Ahrens delivered a cassette containing four audition songs for the musical to uh, Mr. Jabinski. The first song on the tape, which was well-produced and featured voices of many recognizable Broadway musical actors, was the opening number and title song, Ragtime. That is, I have to say, that's a cool process. I well, it's smart. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, you get to test it out and see who has the best sound. Smart, mm-hmm. smart, smart, smart. Um, so after listening to nine or ten submissions, uh, Doctoral Drabinsky and book writer Terrence McNally were all in complete agreement that it was going to be Aaron's and Flaherty uh, to. Uh, write this musical extravaganza. Amazingly, three out of the four songs that Aaron's and Flaherty wrote for the original demo tape remained in the show. Ragtime, Gliding, and Till We Reach That Day. With the composition team in place, the writing picked up speed greatly. According to Aaron's and Flaherty, working with McNally was simply sublime. One of the key early uh, moments that proved to Aaron in particular that the partnership with McNally was going to be successful and fruitful was early in their collaboration when at the end of a writing day, he handed Aaron an envelope and said, read it when you have a chance. Uh, she opened it on the cab ride home and burst into tears in the cab because he had written a wonderful monologue for the character Mother 
as she's standing on the dock saying goodbye to her husband as he sails off on an expedition. The first lines of this monologue were, goodbye, my love, God bless you, and I suppose bless America too. Uh, they became the first lyrics to the song, goodbye, my love, sung by the mother. Bless you, and I suppose bless America too. You have places to discover, oceans to cover. You need to know I'll be there at the window while you go your way. I accept that. This monologue proved to Aaron's in, uh, in her eyes that McNally was not only a great book writer but also that his work could inspire lyrics as well. One audition song that changed was the initial Aaron's and Flaherty song written that they wrote for the character of Emily Nesbitt. The song originally uh, for this character was a naughty uh, jazz baby song called You Don't Know and was sung to a younger brother after... Younger brother and Emily Nesbitt uh, make love. However, once the plot changed and Evelyn and younger brother do not get together, the song had to be altered and it was changed to The Girl on a Swing. This ultimately ended up being replaced at an early reading by The Crime of the Century, which focused on the murder trial. And Aaron's used her knowledge of writing educational songs for Schoolhouse Rock to incorporate many facts about the trial in a very short yeah. time frame. So there you go. Uh, Flaherty struggled in writing the music for the song Success because it took him time to find a new sound for the Eastern European Im uh, uh, immigrants. His early attempts, uh, he said, sounded like watered down knockoff of Fiddler on the Roof. So... He went back to his notebook and he found notes early in his process that he had come up with the idea that the song should contain elements of the new world and the old world using ragtime in American uh, syncopation for the new and klezmer color suggesting the old. Upon rereading re that note in his uh, notebook, he reused this concept and ultimately came up with the song Success. In America, anyone at all can succeed. America, here in America. Do what you do, and the world will come to you guaranteed. America, we're in America. I may be just the maker of art, but here you could start with less and make a success. For the song Henry Ford, it started as a monologue from McNally that quickly was converted into a song. The song was originally staged to have an actual Model T4 roll off the line and Cole House Walker land triumphantly in the car and drive it straight off stage. However, not every production can afford to have a real Model T4 driving on and off the stage. So the song was rewritten so, this, so that the sequence could be performed without an actual car. Uh, the song, Nothing Like a City. Have a pleasant day, man. Have a pleasant trip, sir. Nothing like the city. 
was briefly cut in one of the early previews when the creative team felt Act 1 was running too long. However, after one night, they, uh, with it, the song, the entire creative team and cast missed the song so much that they put it back in. <laughs> the song, uh, Your Daddy's Son. Daddy played piano, played it very well. Music from those hands could catch you like a spell. He could make you love him, for the tune was done. You had your daddy's hands. You are your daddy's son. Was written to explain the motivation for Sarah's actions. Uh, earlier in the story, because in the film and in Nocturo's book, her motivation is not explained. So Aaron and Flaherty wanted to rectify that. And because they had the wonderful muse, Audra McDonald, the song was specifically written to fit her particular operatic musical voice. Many people have credited this song as the reason why uh, Audra McDonald won her third Tony. So... The next thing that they kind of tackled was the big song for Cole House and Sarah, Wheels of a Dream. And this was a really tricky song, actually. Originally, the song was titled America's Child. And in later interviews, Aaron's actually said she shudders at the original title. But the reason for it was because Aaron's uh, started out writing the song as if the song was about the child only to later come to realize that the song was really about the mythical American dream represented by the car. And, and the car signifies to Coolhouse everything he wants to achieve not just for himself, but for his son, a future on the move, wheels turning, times start to start to roll, and a country that he believes will be welcoming and fair. If only. It doesn't end well. Uh, true American tragedy. The night that uh, Goldman uh, spoke at Union Square. He was called out her name, shouting what he did not know, and he found that he was standing on a chair. With a heart as clean and new as the freshly fallen snow The night that Goldman spoke I've been waiting for you At Union Square Started as a near solo for Younger Brother Ultimately it was decided that the audience should see Younger Brother Radicalized by Goldman And in a more surreal way so actually seeing the moment uh and fun fact is that mcnally as he wrote the book for this musical younger brother became his favorite character of the piece yes mm -hmm. 
Yes. He's one of my, like him and mother, my favorite characters of this piece. Interesting. During the creation of the song, Cole House Demands, Aaron's asked one of the BIPOC performers what she would say if she were asked by reporters for information about the hunt for a fugitive in her community. And she responded, and I wouldn't tell those pecker woods even if I did. And Aaron's, with the permission of this performer, used that actual line in the song. Not one of us, not one of us, never heard of him. We don't want any trouble. So there you go. What a Game was written to be a deceptive toe tapper about racism and prejudice, but also acted as a way to give an exo for the audience who had from the previous number, with the song still making a dramatic point. Is striking out again. Schmidt! Yes, Phil! The Giants haven't got a prayer. Are your underwear? Hope you're rally. Go back to where your mother once came. It's that ball. Run, you bastard! It's that ball. Kill the trapped ball. Nally actually didn't like the song and felt it was wrong for the show and opposed it greatly. However, Galati weighed in and said, Let's just hold a minute here because Aaron's and Flirty are on one end of the fence saying this is just what we need. McNally on the other end of the fence saying doesn't not working, not working, cut it out. And Galati comes in the middle and goes, we're going to put it in. We're going to try it. And if we don't like it, we cut it. Um, and ultimately, they did try it within the context of the show and it worked and the number stayed. Buffalo Nickel Photo Play Inc. Waking every morning, feel the sergeant is the patient. I frame the sea, I frame the sky, and this is my vacation. I shake your hand, I kiss your hand, I buy you all a drink. And maybe if your chance to see a movie that was made by me, remember when my name goes by, that's Ash K E N A Z Y. The Baron, now American, who happened once to think of silhouette and flicker book and movies as they're meant to look at Buffalo Nickel. is a trunk melody song that Flaherty had actually originally written for another score, The Glorious Ones. It's his only trunk song of the piece. And he, and he says, actually ashamed to admit that I used a trunk song in this show, but it just worked. So he goes, I, 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 I needed to use it. Sarah's brown eyes. One look at you now, every note feels right. Coming out all sweet and slow. You tell stories like your hands play tunes. Sweetest tune I know is Sarah Brown Eyes. Don't be shy now. Sarah Brown Eyes ought to take a chance. The stars are silver notes. Across that sky now, Sarah This was the final song uh, that was written before the previews in Toronto began. And they were, and the song was written because 
Aaron's and Flaherty loved Audrey McDonald so much they wanted her back and incorporated into Act Two. So the song was quickly written in a day, and Stokes and Audra site read it uh, and basically kind of got it quickly up on stage. It was a very fast turnaround for that song. But basically it was because Aaron's and Flaherty really loved writing for Audrey McDonald that they had to get her back in for Act Two because uh, Audra's character, Sarah, is tragically beaten to death at the end of Act One. So she doesn't even make it to the end of Act One. Uh, she's killed off before the end of the curtain. Um, so the fact that it, it was like, we need to get her back. So that's what happened there. Back to Before was written for as Aaron's felt the character Mother needed a final statement towards the end of Act Two that would round out her character. Uh, the first lyrics were spawned from one line from McNally, which was, we can never go back to before. Back in the days when we spoke in civilized voices, women in white and sturdy young men at the oar. Back in the days when I let you make all my choices, we can never go back to before. Aaron's mulled that one line over, and then one morning she just woke up, wrote it out, faxed it to Flaherty, who locked the lyrics. He said, we're not changing the lyrics. The lyrics are what they are at this point. Yes. Like, you can't beat these lyrics. And musically, this was the one song that Flaherty actually put a button on, musically speaking. Every other one of the mother's songs are built to not have a button because they view her character as unfinished and constantly evolving. It's not till the end of her story, at the end of the musical, that she gets a song with a button. And the song was also written to feature the belting voice of Marin Maisie, because throughout the rest of the musical, the mother's songs in Act One are very much using Marin Maisie's soprano voice, and they wrote uh, this song, uh, Back to Before, as a way to feature her belting voice because they hadn't done that yet in this in, in the in the in the score. So they were like, well, we gotta do that. So then we get into the August uh reading. Two-thirds of the score that would open the show was completed, though not always in its final form. Director Frank Lotti was brought on uh, af- uh before the first reading, and then during the rehearsal process, the Harry Houdini trick at the top of Act Two was created by well-known Las Vegas magician Franz Herrig. So a real live magician came in and uh, choreographed the magic trick. A shtetl, it's a shtetl, it's America. Sequence was developed during the rehearsal process in Toronto uh, when Galati asked the cast to improv the, the immigrant experience using props and movement to create the characters and to illustrate the emotions in coming through the Ellis Island gates. Galati had Flaherty accompany this improv at the piano, creating the music on the spot. <laughs> during the improv, Galati would be yelling, Gates! And the music would need, would have to be illustrating the rising and lowering of the gates up and down on stage. So Flaherty had, she had to figure out a way to musicalize that moment.
to go. So between the first reading and the next, just prior to Christmas in 1995, the songwriters focused mostly on filling the holes in the story of uh, in Act Two, writing an action sequence called Cole, Hoarder, called Cole, Cole House Demands and Back to Before was really when those songs came to be. Uh, in preparation for a fully staged workshop in May of 1996, they added the night gold uh, uh, that Goldman uh, spoke at, at Union Square and second Lower East Side sequence that would eventually be discarded and, and, and musicalized Mother and Father's second trip to Atlantic City. Graziella Danielle uh, was signed on as choreographer as they realized that we actually need a choreographer, <laughs> choreographer for this piece. There will be dance. So she was brought on uh, a little bit later on than everybody else in the creative process. She wasn't there originally. They kind of realized we need someone. Uh, so she was brought in. And then in July of 1996, the workshop uh, cast moved to the Manta Eastern Sound Studios in Toronto to record the concept album Songs from Ragtime. Uh, the week before the session, Aaron Flaherty wrote the second act vaudeville turn song for uh, Evelyn and Harry Houdini called The Showbiz. I'm buried alive, I hang by a thread, and people pay money to see if I'm dead, like Mama once said. That's the showbiz. I'm packing them in from summer to fall, come and I'm playing a half-empty hall. Well, you said it all. That's the showbiz. Upon hearing it, Garth Jabinski wanted it in the album. It went right to orchestrator Bill Brun and was recorded just a few days later. Uh, rehearsals for the world premiere production in Toronto commenced in September 1996, and the writing continued. Uh, a song written early on for the climactic scene between Colehouse and, and Booker T. Washington called Look What You've Done was removed from the show and replaced by Coolhouse's anthem, Make Them Hear You. Go out and tell our story to your daughters and your sons. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. And tell them in our struggle we were not the only ones. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. classroom with your pen teach every child to raise his voice and then my brothers then will justice be demanded by 10 million righteous men make them hear you then look what you've done was brought back in a revised form to precede the ballot for the sum of my life I have lived in hope We might all be Christian brothers I have worked to persuade every white-skinned man That he need not fear our race What has your selfish recklessness cost us? We who work so hard to steal the white man's hate Justice! Look what you've done The musical had its world premiere in Toronto, where it opened at the Ford Center for, for the Performing Arts on December 8th, 1996, with the cast including, re, right now, the new Batman Riddler, Paul Dano, as younger brother, a.k.a. Edgar, 
You have Marin Maisie as mother, Mark Jacoby as father. You have Stephen Sutcliffe as mother's younger brother, Paul Souls as grandfather, uh, Peter Friedman as Tate, Leah Michelle as the little girl, Brian Stokes Mitchell as Cole House Walker Jr., Audrey McDonald as Sarah, Lynette Perry as Evelyn Nesbitt, Jim Cordy as Harry Houdini, Camille Savola as uh, uh, Emma Goldman, uh, Larry Daggett as Henry Ford, Mike O'Carroll as J.P. Morgan, and Richard Allen as Booker T. Washington. While uh, both the show and the score received kind reviews from the Toronto critics, uh, but Aaron's and Flaherty were not satisfied and continued to work over and rewrite the piece as they journeyed to uh, Broadway. Prior to the U.S. premiere at the Schubert Theatre in Los Angeles in June of 1997, Aaron's and Flaherty wrote a replacement for I Have a Feeling called Welcome to Vaudeville. Then, finally realizing that Evelyn and, and Houdini characters do not warrant their own number that late in the action of Act Two, they replaced Welcome to Vaudeville with new solos for Evelyn and Harry within the structure of the big Atlantic City number. So there you go. They found a better way to go about it. They put a new button on Evelyn's song, Crime of the Century. And in order to strengthen the two important characters, they wrote new bridges for both the Emma Goldman younger brother numbers, uh, the night Goldman spoke at Union Square in Act 1, and he wanted to say in Act 2 and made the lyrics more specific and Personal. So there you go. The musical opened on Broadway on January 18th, 1998, at, as the first production in the newly found, op- opened Ford Center for the Performing Arts. The original Broadway cast included many carryovers from the Toronto cast, with the exceptions of Paul Dano, who was replaced by Alex Strange, Paul Souls, who was replaced by Conrad McLaren. Uh, Camille Savola was replaced by the incredible Tony winner, Judy Kay. John was replaced by Tommy Hollis. On opening night, Stephen Flaherty, the wonderful man he is, uh, gave his songwriting partner, Lynn Ahrens, and a few other close friends a white, loose-leaf notebook containing original song sketches and notions, as well as all the trunk songs cut from the show. Uh, It is inscribed... Uh, saying ragtime is about America in transition, constantly bending, blending, and adapting. The following pages are the story of our ragtime, a musical in transition from the first note through opening night. Talk about a beautiful gift to give. That's a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like, and there's just the recognition that we are always in transition. Yes. And... Therefore, there is no perfect. And when you think you have achieved perfection, you might as well die. Yeah. What's the point? There's nowhere to go. Yes. You have nowhere to go. The production received mixed reviews with critics noting the dazzling physical production with a $10 million budget, including fireworks and a working Model T4 automobile. Yeah. And it overshadowed, they said, the problems with the script. There are no problems with the script. Well, apparently reviewers beg to differ. Uh, Ben Brantley's review in the New York Times was headlined a diorama with nostalgia rampant. The 1998 Tony Awards were looked really good for Ragtime at the time with 13 Tony nominations, 
However, Lion King won best musical that season. It was that is stupid. I'm sorry. Do you know what that is, Mackenzie Horner? That is Gwyneth Paltrow beating Kate Blanchett. I'm still not over it. I will never be over it. It shows the gross immaturity of our industries. Well, um, it wasn't a total loss of the night for Ragtime. The musical did win a few awards. It won uh, Best Featured Actress for McDonald as Sarah, Best Original Score, Best Book, and Best Orchestrations. <laughs> Yeah, this was a very hot year. I mean, it, it came down to between Cabaret, Ragtime, and Lion King. Like, Maren Mason deserved Best Actress that year. She deserved that award. Why? Agreed. Because she, she was specific and detailed and sang with her eyes. And there was so much emotion. It was so good. Was so good. It makes me so mad. Maren Mason usurps everyone. <laughs> makes me so mad. So yes, uh, the night of the Tony Awards not proved fruitful for Ragtime. The production was not financially successful following this upset, unfortunately. And some Broadway insiders attributed the lack of success Ragtime had on Broadway to the ultimate financial undoing of Live End. So there you go. The original Broadway production of Ragtime closed on January 16th, 2000 after 834 performances and 27 previews. Ragtime received a revival in 2009. The production opened at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Washington, D.C. on April 18th, 2009 and ran through to March 17th, 2009 with direction and choreography by Marsha Milgram Dodge. Uh, the production then moved to Broadway at the Neil Simon Theater with previews beginning on October 23rd, 2009, and the show officially opened on November 15th, 2009. The cast featured Stephanie Umo as Sarah, Quentin Earl Darrington as Coolhouse Walker Jr., Christina Knoll as Mother. You also have Robert Peck. Uh, Pe- uh, Peckoff as Tatia, Bob Segaret as younger brother, Donna Michaleccio as Emma Goldman, and Ron Bromer as father. Uh, this was the first revival of the musical and also the first Broadway revival of, a, of any 1990s musical. The production opened to critical acclaim but closed on January 10th, 2010 after 28 previews and 65 performances. Uh, the production had a large cast and orchestra resulting in a significant weekly running cost that demanded the show be a popular success in order to be financially uh, worthwhile. Uh, despite the closing, the production received seven Tony nominations, including Best Revival of a Musical, Best Direction, uh, Best Actress in a Musical, and Best Featured Actor in a Musical. One nomination for costume design was rescinded on the basis that the designs were substantially similar to those from the prior production. Did it win any of those? No. The musical that won for best musical revival that year was La Cage au Fall. Mm, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> this is a beautiful musical that everyone should see because it's, it's about people struggling and kindness 
And we need this. This is a musical we need to see. Well, um, so Ragtime has gone on to have a successful concert life where this musical has been done in concert form, including on Ellis Island. Yes, awesome. Uh, one major concert that was done uh, was a Manhattan concert production for a one night only concert at Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center on February 18th, 2013. And this is one I would have loved to have seen. It was directed by Stafford uh, Ar- Armia. Arma? We'll go with that. Uh, but the mother was played by Leia Salonga. Patina Miller played Sarah. Norm Lewis was Cool House Walker Jr. Tyne Daly was Emma Goldman. Carrie Butler was Emily was Evelyn Nesbitt. Howard McMillan, or sorry, McGillan was father. Michael Arden was younger brother. And Manello, uh, F- F- uh, Felicino was Tetya. So solid cast. I would love to see uh, Leia Salonga play mother. I think she's got a voice of an angel that could sing it no problem. Shana Taub, who works on Waitress, who's working on Devil Wears Prada, yes. <coughs> played Emma Goldman on Ellis Island. Oh, so, very cool. Shana Taub was enough. That's who she played. There you go. Very cool. Now, there was a concert benefits, uh, benefiting the Actors Fund scheduled for April 27, 2020 at the Mixoff Theater. Uh, it was to be directed, once again, by uh, Stafford uh, Armina. Uh, and it was to feature the original Broadway cast, including Brian Stoke Mitchell as Coolhouse Walker Jr., Audrey McDonald as Sarah, and Peter Friedman as Tetya, Cara, uh, Kelly O'Hara, was to play the role of mother in the concert staging. The concert was dedicated was to be dedicated to the late great Marin Maisie, who sadly passed away in 2018 from ovarian cancer. Oh. However, the concert was postponed indefinitely due to COVID-19, which sadly also this, uh, this past year took the life of Terrence McNally as well. No, all of uh, all the greats, all the mm-hmm. greats, Luker. Yeah, uh, so mm-hmm. so sad, so yes. sad. Stephen Sutcliffe was all supposed to be in that concert version. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. So now the Shaw Festival uh, did a production of Ragtime in yeah. 2012 at their festival theater. It was part of their 51st season running from April 10th to October 14th, 2012. The production was directed by Shaw Festival Artistic Director Jackie Maxwell. And the role of Coolest Porter was played by Tom Allison, who is one, a wonderful performer. I love Tom Allison. And my friend Elena Hibbert played Sarah. And who knows, we may be getting Elena Hibbert joining us on the podcast in the very near future. So stay tuned for that. We also have, we also have Jay Turvey, as Tetya and Patty Jameson as mother. Adore Patty Jameson. J'adore. J'adore. She's and here we go, Autumn. We're done. <laughs> Production history. It's over. Whew. That was an adventure and a half. Um, Autumn, tell us how you first came to this musical. In Toronto, the original production. I loved mm-hmm. it. I thought it was mm-hmm. amazing. 
Mm-hmm. I, I it moved something in me. It was transformative for me. Nice. Well, I mean, I came to this really easily. As we talked about in our Godspell episode, uh, where I used to go to the York uh, Media Library to pick out CDs to listen to, the fact that I just was typing in the search like different actor names to see what would come up. And I typed in Audrey, Audrey McDonald because I knew who she was and I liked her voice. So I was like, what other stuff has she done that York Library would have? And I was like, oh, they have both copies of Ragtime, the concept album and the... Broadway album. So I took that and went home and listened to that and fell in love with the music and the score. And it's always kind of been on my playlist. There's songs that I listen to. Henry Ford is on the long cutting playlist. Um, so yeah, I got Autumn's bopping there. So we'll, we'll, but we'll, okay. we'll, don't worry, we'll, we'll talk about Henry Ford. But yeah, that's kind of it. Like I love it was the two CDs, York. Once again, York has a great media library. There's lots of great nuggets in that library that if you take the time to actually go to the library and do some searching you'll find some really great material so yes there we go all right let's go into our top three songs of the musical because i do have so I'll, I'll disclose now i like this whole show uh there's no one song that i'm really like god i hate it there's a few that if i'm just gonna skim through the album one time i may i may skip over just because it's like okay I, 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 I'm not the hugest fan of that one. But overall, it's a fantastic album that once I put it on, I'm going to listen the whole way through. Yeah. From beginning to end. Uh, but I do have three songs that I do come back to repeatedly. Okay, what are they? Number one, <laughs> uh, Back to Before. Me too. song firstly it's because of mary Maisie, who slays this song in every possible way her phrasing and vocal tone and technique is just unmatchably impeccable the, like that rendition will never be matched no, no, it's, 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 it's like Carl Wilkinson's bring him home people yeah. aspire to do what she did in that song she she just it, it, it she had an intuition mm-hmm. possessed an intuition for the music and for the story that she was telling through the yes. song. And yeah. not very many people know how to do that. Yeah, not no, even it's... Broadway. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't honestly think of another Broadway person that the only person I can say that has matched her acting ability is the Melda Staunton's Rose's Turn. I had a dream I 
dreamed it for you, June. It wasn't for me, Herbie. And if it wasn't for me, then where would you be, Miss Gypsy Rosalie? Well, someone tell me, when is it my turn? Don't I get a dream for myself? Starting now is gonna be my turn. Gangway will get off of my runway. Starting now, I bet a thousand this time, boys. I'm taking the bows and... Yeah. And it's it it's simple, but there's an there, the struggle is so tangible, palpable. Oh uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was she was a gift, a gift of an artist. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes, agreed. And she valued the lyrics as much as the music. And yes. it's something that most people forget. They're like, no, I have to honor the line of the music. I'm like, no, you have to honor the story that you are telling. Yes. The yeah. music is just there to augment the story, but it is mm-hmm. not the story. Yeah, exactly. No, I absolutely uh, agree. I agree with uh, you. Yeah. I mean, I also love how this song does act as a button for the character. But the song still has an internal journey within yeah. it where it is an active processing song. It's not it's a, a soliloquy. It's a total soliloquy where you're watching this transformation and realization live on stage. It's like soliloquy from Carousel, where One you're th- watching where, where you're watching this live struggle. It's not because a lot of times a musical will have a song that occurs at the end of the discovery, where mm-hmm. they're reflecting on the discovery, not in a struggling bit to find the the discovery and that's what this song is it's it's, it's the struggling bit to find the, the discovery um well, the discovery of herself yes like she's exactly in the whole musical building and and to the, to this moment of you know uh, questioning all of her choices and mm-hmm. um the role of a woman mm-hmm. at the Time and her responsibilities as a as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, mm-hmm. um, and she finds her humanity in this song, and I think, and her her genuine self, yeah, and and that final, and I'm so glad they put that button in because it is it's the nope you can't, and we mm-hmm. can't ever go back to before it is impossible we yes. cannot rewrite, re-envision, you know, rework history to benefit. We can, only, we can only take that knowledge, that failure, as it were, and use it to learn to make a better version of ourselves. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And that's, that is a song, and it's, 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 it's so, it's perfection. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Aaron's lyrics in the song, like as you said, where she's talking about the women who walk down the aisle in the white dress and know their duty yeah. immediately. And yet, and yet, as the song progresses, you're getting this course of change. And Aaron's wrote almost as she experienced a soliloquy in this mm-hmm. moment. And you can see why Flaherty, when he read these lyrics, locked them. He, he, he basically said, we're not changing anything. You've hit the nail on the head. We don't have to go back and change a lyric somewhere. This is it. Well, it's, it. 
you know what's great is it is the perfect counterpiece to journey on. Yes. Right? It's like the journey on is like, uh, you know, musically. And then you've got this uh, resolve at the end Mm -hmm. because we've Mm -hmm. watched her journey. And it is, this show is about her journey. Yeah, it really is. Her, it's her journey with Sarah, with Cole House, with younger brother, with, she is the linchpin. You're right. She is that, she is that, the. Well, she's the center of the wheel. That everything okay. else spins yeah. around. Everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like yeah. they, Aaron's and Flaherty, McNally, they nailed it. This mm-hmm. nailed the song. I agree. Yeah. And la- one final note is that I, this song is really a representation of how well this musical threads the needle, as you said, it being both character specific, but also having universality. Like yeah. that's what this song is. Cause, cause the message about never going back is something that right now in our history, we are facing. We can never go back to the Obama era. As much as we all think that now that Trump's gone, we will go back to how it was before. We will all become happy people and cohesive again. But some about, people weren't happy there. Exactly. Oh, weren't happy. Hence why we can never go back to what, to what we had before. We can never go back to normal as they say, it's like, we are an ever evolving, ever changing society. Well, we know. And that's what the song is about. It's like, we can never go back to our childhood because we know too much. Mm-hmm. We know too much. Yeah. So we have to make a choice to keep learning and knowing more mm-hmm. and being curious or just saying that's enough. I know enough now. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's when we really get into trouble. When we just stick. Stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my number one. Back back to before. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Thank you. What's your number one or number two, I guess? Well, that's, I would say that's my number one. Okay. So what's your number two? Wheels of a Dream. not make my list it is it's full of so much hope Mm -hmm. and but in in it there's this it's a there's an urgency to it Mm -hmm. like there's this there's this there's this want i don't know if they ever truly believe that the wheel is for them and i I, yeah i i I appreciate that music yeah yeah yeah, well, that's the struggle of that song is, once again, it's not about them and their family. It's about what this car, this American car, represents. And the fact that Cole House isn't even, like, the fact that he's ridiculed for having this car 
And then ultimately, it's the car that leads to his unfortunate undoing in the story. But it, that it, it, there's a pushing in the song. Be on mm-hmm. that road. Be on yes. the road. Well, that drive. So big. Mm-hmm. And the drive is so big that it sets sets those two up for the most monstrous fall. Because yes, it does. Number mm-hmm. where it's like, we can do anything. Oh, wait. Yeah. Well, it's right. kind of like tonight from West Side Story, the balcony scene that mm-hmm. sets Tony Maria up on this same skyrocket uh, uh, of a love story, only to have it come hurtling, crashing down to earth in the most painful way possible. It's 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 the it's the we all want the idealists to win, and we all know that they're never going to. Well, that's what we talked about in our episode about Camelot. That King Arthur can never win because humanity just doesn't like idealism. We, we can't handle it. Humanity We're- doesn't like humanity. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that that idealism is very youthful <laughs> and it's going into the world with the open eyes, which is interesting because the whole musical is from this child's perspective of how little boy sees the world, right? Yes. And this wide open, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. And they have this song where anything is possible. And it's devastating. I like, I, I, for me, it's, because you know, you know something bad is going to happen. And watching it the first time, I didn't know. I didn't know the story. And I, I went there and I'm like, yes, it's going to happen. The baby's going to be okay. They're going to be okay. Fuck. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, the worst. Well, the, the worst. Yes. Well, the song sets you up for a deceptive plotline where it's like, well, all of us know plots to stories where we're watching a rom-com or, or, or some type of romance story. We, we, we already are trying to, trying to predict the next plot point. So when this song comes, we think, okay, so the rest of the story is going to be about <laughs> them achieving this dream that they have. Yeah. Only then to have Act 1 end with Sarah's death, which gets me to my number two, which is Justice and President. I combined them into one because they they go together. You can't do one without the other. Uh-huh. Uh, so I love and hate the song Justice. What about justice? My advice, recover your car and forget the whole matter. The clerks and the officials and the forms that were filed. This to get a place on the court calendar, this for change of venue. So many rules of justice around the bend. I want justice for our people, so bad I can taste it. But I won't waste my time on a mere case of vandalism when I have real injustices to take to the courts. tracks the unfortunate experience of Colehouse trying to right the wrong of having his beautiful Model T4 car uh, destroyed by a bunch of racists. And I love it because of how well it handles the exposition where this could be a really clunky, I I mean, it probably wouldn't be because it's Terrence McNally writing the script. But at the same time, you have to get through a lot of exposition in this one bit of scene of 
watching this downward journey of Cole House fighting the oppressive system that is that is basically giving him the runaround. Uh, and that's what I hate about the song is that it reflects how screwed up and how broken our judicial system is that every system yeah every system is that broken mm-hmm. well once again Aaron and flirty shined a universal light on the fact that our systems are broken and, and and it's because these systems are broken and we give these people who are optimistic and want the system to work the runaround that they then turn to anarchy like Cole House does like attempting to blow up a library burning down firehouses like you understand why? Because you've seen this journey of him going from optimism of like, we're gonna write this wrong, it's gonna be okay, to damn it, I I can't I can't win in this system. And the song President. I'll tell him, President, I am coming to you on behalf of Cole House Walker. He don't know I'm here, he's much too proud, and I ain't much of a talker. But President, he needs your help, sir, you're the only one. Cause Cohouse, he won't marry me till this thing is done. And President, we got a son. President! Yeah. It's the button of this moment because Sarah's optimism, because she, once again, like any good relationship, she is the, the, the bouncing board for her partner. She is the one holding on to the optimism of, we were going to write this wrong, we're going to make it right. And ultimately, she is beaten to death for that optimism. That, like, literally, the optimism is beaten out of her. And the system Brian's, doesn't like positivity. Of course it doesn't. Why? Why would it? You're an idealist. Piss off. We will kill you now. Exactly. Um, and oh, my heart. Every time I hear Bryce Mitchell yell the word no. No! When Sarah dies, it just rips right through you. The authentic pain of that one word. Genius. The man is a genius. His Don Quixote is wonderful. He's I he's, love his Don Quixote. It's the the musical was stacked with the best musical theater actor. Mm-hmm. 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 Like just yeah. uh, uh and watching mm-hmm. it, you're like no. How did they stage one, it? You're like, this is act one. No, how can this how be? Did- how did they stage Sarah's death? Did they just have her run off stage and you hear the, I think she has a gun? Or, or do you actually see her beating? No, I think- Do you remember? I, I, I have a feeling that we saw like this crowd and this, I thought we saw it. Okay. And he, he comes in. Which I think. There. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't find how they staged it. Ugh. But I mean- Especially now, particularly with President, when what's happened this past summer uh, with George Floyd um, and uh, Breonna Taylor, like that sequence of events of the people, the 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 the, the presidential security getting off because oh, we think she has a gun, 
ergo we are justified in what we do and they get away with it like once again Aaron's and Flaherty universality of this piece and that the way they just depict this whole sequence of events at the end of the act it it drives you into the ground that's where back to before is almost a challenge to the audience Mm -hmm. yes we cannot go back here Mm -hmm. let us not go back here yeah Mm -hmm. hello right yeah and feels of a dream it's so interesting that it's it's about a car which is about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know industry and systems and the hope in the it's almost a reflection of hope in the system yep well it's well it's (laughs) that blind optimism that people have before they can screwed over by the system Everybody believes in the system until uh, until they deal with the system and realize how broken it is. <laughs> well, Colehouse says, a country that will let me um, buy a car and build a life with you. Mm-hmm. Like, the car is the symbol of hope. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's been the ruination of man. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, and also, Autumn, I like, I like this because this is, this end of the finale of act one here with Sarah's death breaks your concept of the purveyor that act one needs to be the purveyor of false hope because when you end act one with the death of Sarah it's like ending act one with Fiddler on the Roof with the trashing of the wedding and Ted you doing the why God why God yeah exactly and yet audiences still come back for act two because you have to believe it can't get as bad as this well, because they're angry. Yeah. You're either going to go on that journey or you're mm-hmm. going to stay at the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that stay at the bar, by the way. That's scary. Uh-huh. That's very scary. But yes, Justice and President. That was my number two. Now, and I also just want to add that I like how this song depicts the rudderlessness that occurs when somebody loses their partner. Because my dad's dad, when he, when it, when when his mom died, my dad's dad became rudderless, and he and my dad said said that my grandfather would come into the house at the end of the day and go, I I felt like I'd just gone around in circles and I haven't achieved mm-hmm. anything, and that's what happens to Cole House when he loses Sarah. Oh, yeah. Sarah yeah. is his drive. Sarah is the model T for for Cole House, and he Sarah loses is- that. Sarah is his hope. Yes. His hope for his child, his mm-hmm. hope for himself, his hope for his community, mm-hmm. his hope for a better country. Yes. It is his, it, she is the hope. Mm-hmm. And what happens to us when hope is gone? How do we reclaim it? Sure, most of us would turn to anarchy. Yep. Because hope becomes reactive and mm-hmm. reactive is anger. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, um, well, that, yeah, so, so yeah that, that was my last note on that song. Was just once again, Aaron's and Flaherty finding that rudderlessness. You know, yeah, that, that that rudderlessness that cool. That's it, well, sets up the rudderlessness that Cool House will face. Yeah, uh, in the rest of the show, it sets it up beautifully Lately. on this song. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but there we go. That's my number two. Autumn, what's your number three? The night that Goldman spoke in Union Square. Spoke at Union Square. What is happening in Lawrence is happening everywhere. Let us at last make this the land of opportunity. 
she was speaking loud and fast through a haze of noise and heat and the smell of sweat and anger in the air. The police were standing by, but the crowd was on its feet. The night that Goldman spoke at Union Square. That almost made my list, but I have another song that will make my list. It's because of Stephen Sutcliffe. Mm. And it's a it's it's a finding for him. It's a searching song, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I, he stumbles upon it, and it's mm -hmm. like this. It, he becomes the fool. Mm -hmm. One moment, watching her speak, he is mm -hmm. he is he is without a rudder as well. He, he is on the show. He's like, I have no purpose. I have no what. Who am I supposed to be? Where? I supposed to go. Who am I? I'm a privileged white boy with mm -hmm. no purpose. Yes. And that's awful. It's the one thing we all need in life is purpose to survive. We do. So. It's the one thing that people have been missing because of this COVID pandemic. Because people not working. But even people who are working, there's a, there's um, a purposelessness about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, does this matter? Yeah. Right? So mm -hmm. it is. It's a, yeah, it's a weird time. But um, that that song, because he finds purpose and he is, it's, it's jubilant. Mm -hmm. When he finds it, there's a jubilance that comes from it. And I can't imagine anyone other than Stephen Sutcliffe playing this role because he was so extraordinary in fact when I knew I was working with him at Shaw I had a little bit of star syndrome because I was so <laughs> I was so taken with younger his younger brother mm -hmm. and I said that to him at one point I'm like I have to tell you I am possibly your biggest fan like your work in ragtime is some of my favorite work I have ever witnessed what did you say Thanks, Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> so and humble. I worked with him on the Rick's progress that I was doing, and he's just a humble guy. Mm -hmm. And but there's this, there's there's a pain that's present yeah. in his work. And it, it, do you know what it is? Uh, I'll tell you, the craftsmanship that was evident in all of these actors reminded me of really great British acting, which is mm. very different so completely different from styles anywhere else in the world. It's subtle, it's mm -hmm. simple, but it's it, like they sit, they sit on pain. Yes. And you, you, it, it's, it comes out of pores, but they will not show it. And it's extraordinary yeah. because once you show it, who cares? Who cares? I don't care. Yeah. I mean, um, Brian Stokes Mitchell builds up to that moment of that no. Yes. Then we get to see him just sit in anger because mm -hmm. that's where he built to and he has to stay there. Yeah. And right? that's hard. And act, anybody who is an actor knows how hard it is to stay is in hard. that angry spot. Imelda Staunton is the queen of living in that angry spot and still ratcheting it up. Like, like like you said, mom. Like you said, Autumn. Her Mama Rose starts at a nine, it's and so builds awesome. to a ten by the time he gets Rose's turn at the end of the night. Look at 
for such an epically beautiful musical that was cost $10 million, it is a mess. It is a mess. It is messy to watch. It is messy because they are brilliant actors. Yes. It should be a mess. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Goldman. Well, Autumn. Yeah. 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 That Goldman. I love it. Uh, my number three, though, Autumn, is Henry Ford. Speed up the belt. Speed up the belt, Sam. Speed up the belt. Speed up the belt, Sam. Speed up the speed up the speed up the speed up the belt. Hallelujah. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it hey, is. A jaunty tune. It's a jaunty tune, but it's deceptive. Mm-hmm. Because the song is about capitalism and the cog and the cogs that turn the that turn the system that produce capitalism. You and these it. employees are singing hallelujah and aren't even realizing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And Henry Ford is up on his Bridge, I believe. I believe that's where he sings the Absolutely. song. Absolutely, he bridge. is up on the bridge, rises the bridge. up, standing over top of them all. Yes, and I mean, like the I like here. my MC in my original production of oh, "What a Lovely War." Yes, exactly. All like, hail the capitalist regime. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm mean, like Ford's lines here are just—they're scary in a way because it's like. See my people, well, here's my theory of what this country is moving toward. Every worker, a cog in motion. Well, that's the notion of Henry Ford. One man tightens, one man ratchets, one man reaches, pull the pull one cord. Cars keep moving in one direction. A genuine flexion to Henry Ford. There's Absolutely. Like, oh, like you hear it in the music and hear that. Oh, mm. the beat. Graziella Danielle, mm-hmm. when she choreographed this, they it was a machine. You know how you you in like um, drama class you do play drama machine. class you build the machine, right? Yes, she did that, but it was like that's terrifying, well, I, and scary. I'm like, oh my god, Henry Ford built human robots, and yes, he did. You know, again, people were so enamored with the pay package and being part of a union for the first time, mm-hmm. it became, that's their end game. This yes. is all I'm ever going to achieve in life. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Oshawa, friends. I know this mentality all too well. I got my union gig. I don't need to go to school. I, I, you know, I can go right and work at the General Motors. Well, then what? What happens when the GM plant closes? Yep. What are you going to do when the uh, guy on top of the bridge goes, eh, I'm done. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Nothing, because you were lulled into a sense of false security. You mm-hmm. got suckered by the system, friends. Yep. Bad. Bad, mm-hmm. bad, bad. I also love in this song that the orchestration has this timpani drum. That's mm-hmm. just boom, boom, boom. And what it reminded me of was... 
um, the old like Roman slave ships with the rowers mm -hmm. that kept time uh, of the rowing. And it's yep. the same thing of the drum beating out the rhythm that yeah. people have to follow of, of making these cars. And the fact that it, the drum speeds up when the song speeds up, it's keeping <laughs> that you got to keep the time to keep the time to produce the car. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful jaunty tune. We lose the money, and the money needs to go up there. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's it's a terrifyingly jaunty tune that masks the darker nature of what oh. Henry Ford and his company really represented, which oh, was no, it's, so, it's so yeah. It's it's a brilliant song. The fact that uh, the fact that it has such a great tune to it that you can't put your lawnmower to this and like you just. What up, bump, bump, bump. Like you're just moving along the lawn. Like it just gives you that great. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It does work. But again, this whole musical works. And it has a, it has like a jaunty vaudeville vibe to it. Yes. A bit of Al Jolson mixed with, you know, um, there's, it's, it's got, it's just got that very, uh, Groucho Marx, you know? Uh, yes. Groucho yeah. Marx. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you see the ash falling from the, mm -hmm. the bridge and like mm -hmm. mixing with the ash coming from the car. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, right? it's, it's a great song. I love Henry Ford. It's yeah, a, it is great. It's so smart. It's smart. It, it's it's a smart piece of it's a smart song that once again could be easily hit like kind of moved away. And you know who I would love to see play Henry Ford is Neil Patrick Harris. He has that smarmy business quality about him that I could totally see him up on the bridge being the puppet master working people on the line. Yeah. Like Neil Patrick Harris could play Henry Ford. There's something about him that just goes, yeah, you got that slick energy about you that people would follow you. No problem. Yeah. 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 All right. So there we go. So those were my top three songs. Now yes. I do have a few that I skip or, and not the hugest fan of, if I'm just skimming the album, if, if, if I'm just kind of like putting it on in the car Got, I got 20 minutes on the road. But I, I'd rather listen to it the whole way through. Agreed. Uh, if I'm driving to Toronto, I'll listen to it the whole way through. If I'm driving into Barrie, which is 20 minutes for me, I'll, I'll do my favorites. Well, you can't uh, listen to the whole thing. Exactly. So once again, then you go to choose your favorites. Uh, mm -hmm. So for me, the first song that I kind of get a little iffy on is the prologue. Harry Houdini was one immigrant who made an art of escape. He was a headliner in the top vaudeville circuit. Ich bin die Mutter des großen Houdinis. He made his mother proud. But for all his achievements, he knew he was only an illusionist. He wanted to believe there was more. Hello, Sonny. What did you What did you say? opening number and it's because of the exposition dump that happens in the song i don't like I, I don't like the way the exposition is done it reminds me of 
that the, the first class roster song in the opening of Titanic, where all the first class people are coming out and you have Victoria Clark giving their bios as they walk by. It reminds me of that, where the rest of this musical is so beautiful at weaving exposition with these real historical figures and things like that. The fact you have, I'm Harry Houdini, or I'm Emily Nesbitt. Yeah, but it's done through the lens of Edgar. So I'm, yes. he can turn well, and I'm Harry Houdini and I'm Harry Houdini. And it's like, I'm like, all these people are coming to life around him. True. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, like, I haven't, mind you, I haven't seen this show live. So when you just listen to it in the album, it just feels like exposition because you're not getting the fact that this is from no, Edgar's It's not. It's not because it's done through that kid's. Exactly. Visually, you would get that, but just listening to it, it's just like, yeah. I'm Harry Houdini. And it's like the, the ah, choral line, exactly. And, and like, I love the choral line of this, like, and the ragtime, the big opening sound of the company, gorgeous. But it's the time. But it's that it's that interjecting exposition of we got to get these characters set up. Yeah. And to do that, we got to basically give their bios. <laughs> uh, and it's like, oh, so yeah, there's that one. That's the one where I'm like, it. People introducing themselves at the beginning of Godspell and their pandemic experience. <laughs> Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Oh, Lord. The song never ends. No, <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. Um, exposition. Uh, the other one uh, is Atlantic City. Atlantic City is kind of meh to me. Like in the fact they've shortened it in future runs. Yeah. It's the same with Crime uh, of the Century. No, not Crime. I actually like Crime of the Century because it reminds me of Chicago. I felt they captured the 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 twisted nature of that time period with the crimes and how they like Chicago, it became this big showpiece. Yeah. It, like, I, yeah I, I do like Crime of the Century. Crime of the Century, I do like. But it's um. Where is it here? Uh, he wanted to say. Wanted to say, I am not who I appear to be. He wanted to say, do not blame me for my past. We have, have different, different lives and faces, but our hearts have common places. This was deep inside me, and you helped me find it at last. something that uh that um oh, even flaherty and aaron struggled with because they they were like we have to figure out a way to get this plot point clearer in the story um and that and that's I why they reworked it, it. They, like this something they've even said like we had to rework numerous times to figure out how to get this right and for me i go it's okay oh it's i not, love it it's, again it's younger brother i think you have I to know. Wanted to say, I reject the world's complacency. Like he, like it's all the things he wants to say, but never gets such. Like 
Mm-hmm. I can blow things up. He just ends with, I can blow things up. Yes. We never get to hear actor subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think that's interesting. It is. It is. I mean, once again, I think I have to see it to I'm get a better appreciation for it. It's going to give me a good in to a, an assignment that I have to uh, prescribe to my students. Ooh, I'm excited mm-hmm. now. Um, <clears throat> but yes, those are the three songs where I'm kind of like, they're not awful. Like once again, this score is not. There's nothing in this score yeah. that you could really pick at and go, "God, what were Aaron and Flaherty thinking when they wrote that?" Like this whole score is gorgeous. These are just three songs that I just kind of, if I if I've got a limited amount of time to listen to the piece, these are the ones that I will maybe forego. Maybe the opening I'll listen to just because I do like the choral stuff. But like, mm-hmm. if I'm really pressed for time and it's like I got a choice of make them hear you or the prologue i'm gonna go for make them hear you well yeah yeah (laughs) exactly it's such a great anthem so good i don't have to just sing the whole song now i look at look at i wish there was a universe a parallel quantum physics place where I could play mother. I would love to do that role. Like it it's on my list of, of five top musical theater things I want to play. Mm. There we go. Okay, Autumn. I think we both are going to be in agreement on this. Uh, does, does this musical still have a place today? Should it be revived? Like, yes. And it should win multiple Tonys. In Maybe the third time will be the charm. Third time with the revival will be the charm to get it. You know what? Award I, dues. I think it needs to be a movie musical. It's epic, and I think mm-hmm. putting it on stage at this point, I d- look at. It. it is a naturalistic story set within an epic world. Mm-hmm. It should not be done on a stage anymore. It needs to be done cinematically so we can have that sweep because that's how people will pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. will not, people are like, oh, I could go see Mamma Mia or I could go see Ragtime. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go see Mamma Mia or Kinky Boots or, yeah, you know, Billy well, yeah. Like, whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, that's my big thing with this musical is because it's so epic and you need, it's, it is opera epic that I don't know if you could ever do a production that's small enough to make it an affordable production to produce. Like, it's one of these shows where it's like, you, unlike Sweeney Todd, which I know, Autumn, you and I disagree on whether or not you it should be done on a smaller scale where everybody plays their own instrument or smaller cast like i don't know if you could ever go that you can do that i've never debated you on that but Mm. you need elements of london in Mm. but it's more possible than this it's like saying this can be titanic without a boat they tried They, 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 they i mean the most recent revival that came through toronto didn't really have a boat it was more scaffolding and moving staircases that did the thing, but once again, I I I, I I I don't know I don't know exactly what would be lost 
when you take away some of the epic production elements of this piece. Um, because once again, the wall of sound that's produced when you pay for a big orchestra and a big cast. Like, yeah. sure, I'm sure, you're, I'm, I'm sure, and you, and you need the Model T4. As much as it's a big expense to have a movie Model T4, you need that consistent central plot piece to the story. Like Godspell is going to become a TikTok musical. This is going to become a movie musical. And it needs to be done because people need to see Ryan Murphy. Hello, friend. You've just taken over this new Netflix deal. Do ragtime. I'm going to write him. I'm going to say these are the things I want you to focus on as a viewer and appreciator of your work. No, Autumn, you and I will direct the movie musical. No, I don't even need to direct it. I just want it to be good. I want it to be good. I want it to be have uh, like justice served in it. Yeah. I'll say you can even cast Meryl Streep as Emma Goldman. Neil Patrick Harris as Ford. Hugh Jackman as Houdini. Actually, you know who should play Houdini? Who? Darren Chris. Yeah, I can see that. He'd be better. I can see that. Yeah, he would be. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You, you, you know, you know, Hugh Jackman can be um, J.P. Morgan. Sure. If we need to throw him in there. I don't think we do. We always see Hugh Jackman. No, you don't. We really don't. I've seen enough of Hugh Jackman in movie musicals. I really have. Mm-hmm. But, like, Ryan has the aesthetic and the money to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it'd be really, it'd be really cool. I mean, it, it would work great as a movie musical. I can yeah. use that. That and Parade are two yeah. musicals that I want to see done as film. More yes. than Wicked, more than uh, what are some of the other ones that keep getting pushed around? Um, uh, more than Wicked, more than uh, they're talking about doing a remake of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, either way, like Ragtime and Parade are two movie or, or musicals that I think would benefit from a film adaptation. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. So there we go. And so, you know what? It, 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 there are lessons embedded in this mm-hmm. that wake up calls that make us want to be better people. Yeah. Like once that, again, this is, a, this is a timely and a timeless musical. Bring it back. It's a story that needs to be told. Thank over you, and over everybody, that. for listening. Thank you to our theme music composer, Mr. Brody Weld, for his wonderful theme music. Listen to his new album out now on Spotify, Bandcamp, anywhere where you listen to music under his tag, Father Flozis. Uh, Autumn, they can follow us on all social media platforms at Before the Downbeat. You can follow our Patreon, where we're doing all types of... Uh, Things like I, I, I got movie musical commentaries. We are doing um, monthly movie or sorry, monthly theater news discussions, mm-hmm. especially now with the pandemic and the way theater's going. There's actually a lot to talk about there. Uh, and we also do top 10 lists. Maybe we'll do top 10 musicals we think deserve to be made into a movie musical. Right time. Yes, exactly. So check those out. Autumn, where can people find and follow you? Little Wood Smith on all the places, all the places. Well, not Twitter, Snapchat, or TikTok, but Instagram and Facebook, Little Wood Smith. Yes. Uh, and you can follow me at Mackenzie Horner 
Uh, you can follow my antics on Cup of Hemlock, where I'm doing all types of things, things including a, um, the, uh, a theater play reviews. We also did musical reviews. We did a two-part epic breakdown of the Les Miserables uh, anniversary and stage concerts with mm-hmm. my friend and uh, partner there, Jillian Robinson. I also was able to sit down with the wonderful Elena Hibbert, who played Sarah in Ragtime at Shaw, to talk about the musical Showboat, which is available to watch on streaming with Broadway HD. And I will say one final thing is check out our Instagram page. Hmm. Uh, because every week we do things like fun facts, clues. Wow. Uh, a lot of you have been engaging and guessing with the stuff. We would love, we love that. We love having you do that. Yes. Uh, so keep on doing it because we love interacting with you all. Either way, everybody, remember to keep on dreaming, keep on believing on the wheels of a dream. On the wheels of a dream. Keep on hoping. We, exactly. Keep on hoping. And we will see you next week on Before the Deputy Musical Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye! Bye! I see.